1: Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution crashed out of their first international competition in over a decade with a disastrous 3-0 loss in Mexico City on Wednesday night to uh, Pumas. After winning the first leg 3-0 in Foxborough, the Revolution lost by the same scoreline in regulation and then fell one penalty kick short. The Revs become only the second team in CCL history to blow a three-goal lead after the first leg in CCL. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is a new guest, Jamie Rook of The Last Word on Soccer is joining me today. Jamie, we are really throwing you into the deep end for your debut podcast. Uh, certainly a lot to talk about going to this game, uh, but how are you doing today?
0: Yeah, I'm all good. Thank you, Greg. How are you doing?
1: Uh, you know, I've I've been better. It's been a rough re- rough week for Revs fans after that RSL game. I was hoping we could kind of just cruise uh, through Pumas, maybe lose one nil, two one, give give us uh, a little bit of uh, positive momentum going into the international break. Uh, but certainly yesterday did not go as well as planned. Jamie, what was your key takeaway from last night's uh, disaster south of the border?
0: I mean. As you say, there it was a with a three 0 advantage. You would hope for even with a loss on the night to advance. So I think I think the key message for me was it it rolls over from the RSL game. In fact, is that I've been hearing whether it be Carlos's fiery interview after the RSL game or the talk of the altitude in Mexico City and the ca- cavalry cancellations. I think it's just a lot of excuses to be honest and. Without wanting to be too negative, I think, simply put, the team just weren't good enough. And whether, like, the team that was put out by Bruce, whilst maybe not a great team, I'd like to think should have been good enough to get over the line. So, yeah, my key takeaway is that you can make all these excuses you want about altitude, but you just just have to, you can't lose like that in such a high-pressure game, really. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, Pumas came to our stadium and played in the snow and played in the cold, and they had to adjust to their conditions, and we took advantage. Uh, And, you know, it's only fair for us to go there and play in the air conditions. This game was a little bit later, uh, so it wasn't as hot uh, as, you know, a game that would be uh, earlier in the evening would be. This is really compounded game after game with the RSL game. I know a lot of people weren't happy with the snow and the conditions, Um, and yeah, I, I... I don't know what, I, I don't want to say excuses because the press conference yesterday was quite brief. Uh, there wasn't really a whole lot said. Um, so I I, I I don't want to say they're making more excuses. I think the fans are, are might be more trying to explain what's going on here. Um, but this was a, a pretty catastrophic failure. And that leads to my key takeaway, uh, which is that, you know, my last key takeaway last week was that the players really deserve Good share of the blame, and I want I deflected a, a lot of my criticism off of Bruce Arena because I thought that team should have seen it out. Um, I have a real issue with Bruce Arena this week uh, for this podcast. Um, I, I thought his tactics weren't that great. We seem to have been playing back a little bit, but we ran out the same starting 11 minus Andrew Farrell. Um, you know, just we were getting destroyed on the wide areas. It just seemed like Pumas had cross after cross after cross that was going in, uh, and it seemed pretty pretty early on it seemed pretty clear to me that John Bell and Omar Gonzalez were, you know, I, I know they're the only center backs available, but they're just not that quick. Um, they're just not that fast on their feet. And, uh, you know, similar to the Foxborough game, I, I thought there were some chances that Pumas maybe missed, you know, it, it, it they probably should have scored a little bit sooner. Um, this game could have been won in regulation, in my opinion. Um, and, you Bruce Arena just didn't make any tactical changes to kind of protect that back line, um, and he—he it just seemed like a game where uh, he was really hoping John Bell and Omar G- Gonzalez would hold up, and I, I really think that was just doomed to fail. Uh, you know, when Andrew Farrell's in the game, he might get beat here or there, but he's got some recovery speed, whereas Omar Gonzalez and John Bell, to me, uh, they just seem like they're a little too slow. Um, they, they can't really recover. They're a bit of a sitting duck when someone uh, gets in front of them or gets behind them, I should say. So, um, yeah, I mean, Bruce Arena kind of stuck with the diamond formation. Bo and Buxa, I know Buxa had a few chances that uh, really kind of w- was a bit le- good letdown. Uh, he had two or three chances where he really could have gotten that very meaningful away goal. But uh, Gustavo Bo had some long shots, that, and, and that was really more or less his contribution of the night he had a couple of decent passes but he wasn't really that involved in the attack that much I feel like this was a sit back and let the game come to us game and I wonder if Bruce Arena would have been a little bit better off maybe playing Maciel uh, instead of Tristesen or Maciel uh, in the central midfield and maybe you put Tristesen kind of on the wing uh, and you kind of have someone occupying those wide spaces because um, it just seemed to me that Bumas was just going to go cross after cross after cross with uh, Mozo. I believe that was his name. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and, um, you know, all three of those goals, the first one was a low cross to the near post that beat John Bell. Uh, the second one, Dewan Jones, was up a little bit, and they exposed the space behind him, and John Bell got pulled out of position, and Omar Gonzalez couldn't cover over in time. Uh, and then the third one, I know it was a shot from Brandon By, but it was a cross in that Brandon by just couldn't head and clear away and so that, that there's more to that play than just the crossing but uh, you know by fails to uh, head one out uh, and and you know they get a shot and it goes in so um i i just was very disappointed i thought in the uh, tactics from bruce arena and it just seemed like he wasn't really able to adapt for this game because uh, he as i say he played his kind of best 11 which kind of implied that maybe they're going to go for that away goal and win it uh, but as the game went on it just seemed that the revs were just letting pumas kind of take the game to him
0: yeah, I, I think everything I you said is pretty pretty spot on. As you said, it's a it's a it's a fine balance about where where the where the blame lies. You've got Bruce, who hasn't always been he's never been hugely into tactics and all of that, and you wonder whether he put out the right team. But then at the same time, I think it it still comes back to the players. Yeah, not not delivering as as you said, without wanting to pile on. the the pressure too much bell and omar gonzalez at center back just didn't seem obviously they haven't played together but just didn't team up for it they were they were caught asleep i'd say for the first two goals and just got beaten to the ball
1: yeah yeah and you know i i almost feel bad for them because as i say i mean omar is great in the air you know he's a tall guy he can head everything away Um, But he's just not that quick. And and John Bell, kind of the same thing, you know, um, he doesn't strike me as someone who's like really, really fast. And so, um, you know, neither of those guys have played with the Revs without Andrew Farrell, I believe. I don't think we saw John Bell and Henry Kessler at all last year. I'd have to double check that. Uh, But usually Andrew Farrell is there. Um, and, and kind of, you know, not that he's the, you know, Dewan Jones or, or Emma Boateng, but, uh, he's, a, he's got some recovery speed and John Bell and, and Omar Gonzalez really, really don't. So, um, yeah, I, 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 felt bad for them. I think this was just doomed to fail. As I say, <sighs> I have a lot to say, but as you say, um, even with that lineup, the Rebs should have seen them off, uh, really, really strong odds going into that game for the Rebs to advance. Uh, Jamie, uh, was there anyone else uh, on the Rebs last night that, uh, disappointed you or put in a performance that you were disappointed in? I think it's to come off a three 0
0: loss where there was so many chances uh, enough chances that but there was no goals. I feel like I don't like to be too negative but there's so many players I could highlight. But I think I think yeah, the centre back pairing are obviously the main two. Uh Tristerson gets booked after fifteen minutes as seems to seems to be a customary now and then, if I'm not mistaken, he ended up getting dragged at half time for Tommy McNamara, so I'd say that's another one. Tristerson, whilst I think he's a good player, it just seems to be happening most games now.
1: Yeah, and you know he got pulled last game too uh, against RSL uh, because of the yellow card. He got a yellow card last game too, uh, and you know last year. So I got I got fact checked on this. I sent out a tweet that you know Tristan uh, had four games where he got booked last year, but in two of those he got two yellow cards. So when he gets the first yellow card, usually the second one isn't too far behind. So I don't blame Bruce Arena for trying to get him off. But the the revs seemed uh, a little bit better with with. Tristesen then McNamara uh, on the field he's just got to stay on the field uh, and, and not get that yellow and he got it pretty early too I, I think he was just late on attack he stepped on a foot you know those things happen but um, yeah disappointing for him to, to get a yellow so early in the game And that might have changed things a little bit I also do know there was a, a play of maybe five or ten minutes later where he made a tackle and I remember the commentators kind of pointed it out like he's on a yellow he's got to be a little careful because if that's a second too late uh, the Rebs are playing a man down so um, yeah I, I agree with everything you said there I don't want to beat up John Bell and, and Omar Gonzalez too too much because I think a lot of people are doing that already online um, and as I say, just I, I that's obviously not your ideal center back pairing. Uh, I do mm-hmm. want to talk about Adam so real quick though because um, he had I think a lot of people are going to go back and focus on the play in the 24th minute. When Dewan Jones makes a tackle, they kind of uh, go—or, sorry, it's the 17th minute. Dewan Jones makes a great tackle. Uh, Heal goes on a counterattack. Bo crosses it in for Buxa, and Buxa volleys it wide. Uh, That obviously could have ended the game right there. And then later, uh, there was a ball stolen by uh, T-Mac, Tommy McNamara, in the 65th minute. Buxa kind of has a clear shot at goal in the 18 box, kind of a, a, you know, look what I found type play. Uh, and skies it over the bar. And then on top of that, Buxa did not step up to take the penalty kick, which I think a lot of people are surprised about. I thought, I mean, Buxa, I thought, has been playing great so far this season. We had a lot of positive things to say about him last week, last episode, last week. Um, but I thought he might have probably, in terms of disappointment, not the worst player on the pitch, because I think that might go to the center back pairing. but I thought Buxa was by far the, the most disappointing performance of the night. Uh, any any thoughts on Adam Buxa there?
0: Yeah, I, I, again, i, I there's not a lot more I can add to that. I think, yeah, I was I was just as confused with the, the penalty decision. Uh, Bruce, I was in the press conference after the game and Bruce said that the the heel, Jones and uh, McNamara, first three, were as expected and then Legette and Altidore said they would take one. But it just seems odd to have, you've got this, your striker, what top goals were last season for the team, he's a DP and he doesn't take one. It seems odd. And then, yeah, in the game as well, he was wasteful almost which isn't always the case he's, uh, he's scored a couple already this season so yeah you would hope he would be the one to step up in this big game
1: it was weird Th- those comments were a little weird to me too because he said he asked kind of who was confident to take it and all that and he said sebastian legit stepped up i didn't think he looked that confident on tv did you i i, I, I don't know what you thought but I, I it looked like he wanted no part of it
0: yeah i, I mean yeah it was, it was he was almost shaking walking up to it and then like as soon as he struck it, you just could tell exactly where it was going. Uh,
1: I, will, I will say the keeper the keeper was uh, playing some head games, so maybe Sebastian Legette, uh you know, was started to doubt himself. Maybe the keeper said something that got I did. Uh, I think the commentators noted this too, where um, DeJuan, the the keeper was pointing at the right to his right, kind of pointing to the corner of the goal, telling Dewan Jones to shoot it there, and then jumped the other way. Um, and actually, I I went back and I watched the New York City FC playoff game. Just the shootout last year. And that's the exact same spot Dewan put it uh, last year. Uh, and he put it perfectly. And so I think that keeper knew Dewan would do something uh, kind of similarly and was trying to get in his head, trying to get him to change last minute. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I maybe Legette just kind of had the – got in his head a little bit. Another thing, too, though, I wanted to point out about the NYCFC shootout, the reason I went back and watched it, because I was curious if Buxa took a shot last year. And he stepped up second to take it. Um, it wasn't a particularly great penalty. It was low. Sean Johnson went to his left and saved it. It was along the ground, you know, by no, by no means was a great penalty. Um, books only other penalty that I could find was he took a penalty kick in his first year in new England against TFC where he skied it high. And that was when he was, he had kind of a lot of his struggles. So Adam books, in his revs career, unless I'm missing one and it's not showing up on the MLS website, uh, he is 0 for two in penalty kicks. So maybe he knows that in the back of his head and maybe he did not want to step up. But, uh, as you said, Jamie, um, bruce arena said the first three were determined going into the game so tommy mcnamara who didn't take a penalty kick last year at new york city fc didn't you know he he was one of the three that was determined which i thought i thought tommy mcnamara stepping up was the most surprising one um and and his penalty kick was not that great either so um yeah very the the penalty kick lineup was very surprising in a number of ways
0: yeah and if so if i can just just add to that well, one thing i'm very interested was I was keeping an eye on it as it went on and it just got more confusing. The first four Pumas penalty takers was their whole back line. So, obviously, that's something very uncommon. I was keeping track and the whole four were their back line till then, obviously, De the striker, stepped up and uh, put home the winning one.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. I uh, actually, I I didn't notice it. I was so, I had my mind blown by Tommy McNamara stepping up that I didn't even notice who was doing that. But, but yeah, let's get to some positives right now. We've already complained about the center back pairing. We've already complained about Adam Books a little bit. Uh, Jamie, I I don't know if there's a ton of positives you can take away from this game, but uh, who was someone last night that, um, you know, maybe impressed you or, or played pretty well?
0: Uh, well, as you said, again, we don't want to be too negative because it's, it's one game at the end of the day, but there are, there are a lot of negatives. But there's two two players I'd probably want to point out. The first one, maybe not necessarily positive, but I thought there was a lot of players just standing around waiting for Heal to pull off his usual magic. And I think he can't, he, whilst he is an amazing player, he can't do it every game. So I almost felt bad for him that so much expectation was on his shoulder and no one else seemed willing to do it, do anything. And then... The one player I did think was was one of the better performances had to be Brandon Bayh. I think as as we've seen with him and Jones as the full-backs going forward, they are very good players. And whilst yeah we conceded three from crosses as well, a couple of them, I still think Bayh would be the standout of all the players. I think he was he he looked interested, he looked up for it, he kept fighting going forward and defensively, and so yeah I'd say. He, by and maybe jones were the players i would point to as the better performers
1: yeah, those were the, the two guys I had. I had, I had Heal and By. Uh, oh, and I had Dewan Jones here, too. Although Dewan Jones, I think, was quite limited because he wasn't able to get up that much uh, uh, up the field, which is understandable. But uh, I thought Brandon By. a lot of people are going to focus on that third goal where um, he kind of misheads it a little bit. Um, and, and as I say there, it just happened to be a Pumas player right there. Uh, and he's not able to kind of block that shot that comes back in. He also did have another moment where he misjudged a header uh, in the 48th minute, and the Pumas player. Kind of has a hard touch and it goes out for a goal kick. But outside of that, Brandon Bay played pretty well on a night where there was a lot of pressure coming in from Pumas. And there were a lot of plays that, as I say, they, it looks like they were trying to expose the wings uh, pretty well. And Dwan Jones and Brandon Bay, I thought, did pretty admirably uh, admirably. Uh, to, to kind of reduce the pressure at times and and play pretty well. Brandon by had a, a handful of good clearances. Uh, I'm just going to pull up his number. He had yeah t- 10 clearances, nine of them headed. He also had six recoveries, um, was only one for five on duels. Uh, DeWan Jones um, had one of the better nights, 15 for 18 passing. He had one key pass, uh, 44 touches. Um, I don't see how many clearances. He only had one clearance, uh, but he had five recoveries and two tackles. He was three for five on duels. Um, so Dewan Jones, they, they played pretty well. Um, considering the circumstances. So um, I I thought they played uh, pretty decently as well. One one person real quick before we we move on uh, to listener questions is, uh, you know, Earl Edwards Jr. has been under a microscope uh, since Matt Turner's injury. Uh, He looks like he's going to be filling in for Matt Turner until Matt Turner returns back, uh, hopefully right after the international break. Um, But I think uh, especially on the third goal, he didn't look that great. I thought he could have done better on the second goal as well. Um, What were your thoughts on Earl Edwards Jr. performance last night?
0: Yeah, um, I think it's a definitely a player in, as you said, under the spotlight with how imperious Matt Turner was in the sticks last year. And I'm, I remember about half time, I made a note on um, Edwards saying he's really, he's, he makes it look like there's not a lot of difference between him and Turner when it comes to ability. Then I almost regretted that when, yeah, when Salcedo scored the third goal in particular, which he certainly should have done better for and I saw can't remember who, but I saw someone tweet that with that goal could go his chance of being the long term successor for Turner. And whilst I I get the thinking behind it, I personally don't I think it's a bit harsh. I think I can't. I wasn't able to watch the Dallas game here in England, but I thought in Portland he made some important stops. Um Obviously, in the RSL game, in the conditions he played well in the first leg, he was really good too. So I think whilst the Salcedo goal and arguably the second Denaino goal he could have done better for, I think with hindsight, I think Edwards has he's definitely exceeded my expectations because after what I saw last season, I was expecting Brad Knighton to be the stand-in. So I've certainly been impressed with Edwards, even if he wasn't at his best last night.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I don't want to repeat it because I think you put it really, really well. But um, the only thing I'll add is that the third goal was so weird. I almost think he he thought it was going to deflect off by or I I don't know, but it seemed like he was not expecting the shot at all. Um, And so, again, I, I think he could have done a lot, lot better on it. But um, you know, I don't want that one moment to really take away from everything he's done. Um, and as you said, he did have a great first half. He did make eight saves in this game. Uh, and it seems like he was tested really, really early. Um, he wasn't allowing too many rebounds. There was one rebound he gave up. It was a really, really juicy rebound. Uh, I forget who it was from Pumas, but uh, they ran in between uh, Dewan Jones, who was uh, out on the, the near the sideline a little bit. And John, they, they beat John Bell uh, kind of in the box. And he took a shot to uh, Earl Edwards' right. Uh, and Earl Edwards punched it away, and it went right through the box. And I think Polster was the one who kind of gathered it outside and cleared it., uh, but outside of that rebound, he really didn't give up a ton. So um, yeah, I, uh, I thought Earl Edwards started this game out great. And I don't know if it was a confidence issue. I don't know if, you know, it was just the buy thing was just fluky and he just wasn't expecting it to come right at him. but uh, yeah, I, I, I think the night ended uh, kind of on a sour note for him, and I'm curious to see, how he plays this weekend against Charlotte maybe a little bit of an easier opponent because uh you know between RSL and Pumas uh you know, these games have ended quite rough for the the revs and uh Pumas or sorry for yeah between RSL and Pumas uh it's ended quite poorly for the revs so curious to see how he rebounds and I'm curious to see um you know if he's the number two going forward or if Brad Knighton who I think came into the season as the number two um, is going to be in the 18 when when Matt Turner returns so we'll be interesting to see Uh, Before we get to listener questions, I want to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Galasso Kits. Galasso Kits' mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, scarves, jackets, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. Do you need some United States men's national team merch for the upcoming international break? Want to support your favorite European team? Do you want a Pumas kit to burn in a futile effort to make you feel better about the Revolution's awful performance in the Champions League? If you said yes to any of these questions, Galasso Kits is the place for you. And if you're not sure what you want, you can check out their mystery kit package where you can enter in the size and style of jersey you like and Galasso will surprise you with the kit of your dreams. So check out GalassoKits.com for their full selection, and make sure you follow them at GalassoKits on Twitter and GalassoKits on Instagram for updates to their new inventory every single week. And when you find something you like, please use promo code REVSRECAP to save 15% off your order. That is promo code REVSRECAP at GalassoKits.com for 15% off your order. Links and code are in the show notes. Jamie, you ready for some listener questions?
0: Yeah, let's get
1: into it. Let's see
0: how... How negative they're gonna be?
1: I actually started with the most negative questions. I figured we wanted to get the pain out of the way. Where yeah. we're this is you know you gotta jump into the deep end and kind of swim your way back to shallow water. So uh, th- this one I don't think we're gonna have this, a deep answer here. But th- we got two questions. By far the most depressing. Uh, Count Broloff says, "Why do I do this to myself every year? It's suffering being a Revs fan. Suffering." Uh, and John Pilkington also asks. When does the pain end? Um, I, I, don't, I think these are some rhetorical questions, but I think that this was probably the most painful loss. I was—I thought it was more painful than the New York City FC loss last year. Um, I think this has been the most painful loss they've had in a while. Um, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, Jamie, how would you rate this on the pain meter? I've got this around a, a 9.
0: Yeah, from I'd, I'd say you'd be able to speak to it better because you've obviously been covering the revolution longer whereas last season the successful season was my first proper year covering them but i'd yeah i'd have to go nine nine and a half it really was really wasn't good especially when the second goal went in there was just that air of inevitability that a third was going to come and at one point At one point, I didn't think it would even reach active time. I was waiting for them to put it to bed in normal time.
1: I I was going to say, actually, you bring up a good point because I was going to say that early on. I thought when the second and the third goal were scored like 10 minutes apart, and I had that exact same thought too where I was like, this isn't even going to get, this is just a moment, you know, four or five minutes from now, you know, they're going to score. And and I will say the reps did show a little bit of fight. They did kind of push up a little bit. They did show a, a little bit of energy and um, going forward and, and, you know, getting some chances. And they had that Omar Gonzalez chance at the end. So, and I think Bruce said that last night, that even even late in the game, they were still in it. Um, so they could have packed it in and they could have stuck their tail between their legs, but they didn't, but, you know, they, they did fight, they did force penalties. So there is a, a small sliver of positivity we got there. But um, yeah, and another thing too, if we want to go negative, I thought after the first 30 minutes, I thought we were golden. Um, and, and I know even, even at halftime when it was one, nothing, uh, I thought the revs were holding them pretty well. And, uh, but it just kind of unraveled in that first 15 minutes coming out of the half. So, um, yeah, that was a painful one. We did get one more comment too, where someone said, uh, Trey said, I've never genuinely been this mad after a soccer game before, uh, <laughs> it just broke my remote. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was a painful loss. The revs were, uh, uh minus 2000 to advance going into that game. Uh, so the, the, the yeah, odds were very strong. I think that's like a 90% chance of moving on. So, uh, John Pilkington did also ask us, have you ever been less confident in a team going into penalties? Uh, I, I don't think I ever have. I thought they're, I, I figured it was over, but as I say, at least they forced penalties. Am I right, Jamie? Uh, did you, did you have any thought that, uh, you know, the revs could, could, uh, pull out penalties? Did you think that was going to happen or, uh, did you just, uh, know where this game was going?
0: It might have been my naivety, Greg, to be honest, but I was genuinely confident. I was looking around thinking, you've got Heal, you've got Josie, you've got, I didn't know about Books' penalty pass, but I was thinking, he's surely going to take one. You've got even Azure, I thought would have taken one and scored. So when you had Jones too, I was quietly confident, but it came back to bite me clearly. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you you, you haven't uh, you, you clearly have not followed the revolution long enough. It just always seems to go the wrong way uh, when we uh, need it the most. Uh, Gustavo Lopez, uh, who you should follow on Twitter, covers the team as well. He says, uh, "Why the why didn't the Revs need to score goals?" Uh, and this is alluding to a comment Bruce Arena made before the game, where he said uh, it was in his midweek press conference. He said, that "We don't need to." Uh, score goals we need to defend goals uh, and obviously he would have taken away goal uh, if they had gotten it and i think playing buxa and bow and heel and uh, playing the same formation kind of shows he did kind of want an away goal um, which would have made last night a lot easier uh, but i think that comment came back to hurt him um, jamie what, what were your thoughts on bruce's comments and do you think they played a little too i know we talked about this a little bit so uh, at the beginning but um, do you think bruce might have should have been a little bit more aggressive uh, in his tactics
0: yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because
1: if if you told me if you told me once again was over,
0: the revs had conceded three goals in normal time, I would have thought, oh, okay, we're great, we're through, because surely someone scored with that amount of talent on the pitch. But it wasn't meant to be, and I think I think it was Sam Minton. The very first question of the press conference asked if Bruce stood by that, and he thought he'd had the correct tactical approach. And his his one word answer was yes, he stuck by it. But whether that's to save face or not, I'm not sure because. Yeah, he's, he just, there wasn't enough in there. And it, I agree with those those players on the pitch. There should have been a goal in there somewhere. And there was the chances, whether it would be Burr or Buxa or, as you said, Gonzalez at the end. But, yeah, you just have to wonder whether it was a, it was a mistake on Bruce's part with the defensive setup.
1: And you know what? If Adam Buxa finishes either of those chances we talked about, the volley in that first half, uh, or that that ball uh, that that McNamara stole in the second half. I believe it was McNamara. I'm gonna get a lot of I'm gonna get a lot of angry Twitter comments if it wasn't McNamara. But um, yeah, if Books can finish either of those chances, you know we're not talking about Bruce Arena's tactics, but. I, I almost feel like he kind of split the baby where he threw out his best lineup and kind of assumed they'd get a goal uh, somewhere down the line. Uh, but he wanted to play back a little bit and play a little more defensively. And I almost wish they had played – maybe keep Bo on the bench for 45 minutes and then bring him out and you know maybe maybe kind of park the bus for the first half and see how long he can keep him off the board. I don't know. I feel like they kind of split the baby a little bit where they weren't aggressive enough. Um, but they, they did play a little more um I don't know, conservative i'll say and i don't know i it just didn't work out for me and really the only result that uh have came back to bite them happened so uh yeah not not great and i think bruce i think that comment is saving face a little bit i think if we played this game again uh, we, we'd see some changes in his tactics there. Uh, Tom asks us, uh, am I the only one not surprised by this result after seeing how the Revs were playing? Uh, and I assume this is uh, referring to uh, the first half in the RSL game, which again, ended on a sour note. I got to admit, I was surprised. I, I think RSL, we can kind of throw in the... Trash is kind of a fluke with the snow and the rotation, uh, and, and, you know, those games happen from time to time. I know I ranted about it on Saturday, and I think those three points hurt, but I don't think they carried this game over, uh, and so I kind of thought they'd be able to see this one out. So going into this game, I was surprised. Um, I'm not surprised to see Pumas win. Uh, I actually thought Pumas was going to win, uh, you know, maybe one nothing or 2-1 or something like that, uh, but the, I, I did not expect to be doing this podcast um, talking about the reps being knocked out of CCL, um, Jamie, what are your thoughts? Are you how surprised are you on this result?
0: Yeah, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. If if you'd said before the game that Pumas would have won, yep, pans up, fair enough. But to to not go through was almost a bit of a crime. And I, I there's a lot of talk on social media before the game about about Andrew Fowler's presence in the game and then out of nowhere he's not even travelled and then. Even with that centre-back partnership, I don't want to keep you an on about it, but even seeing Bell and Gonzalez on the team sheet, you still would have liked to think all the Revs need to do is score one and then what Pumas would have had to score five, I think. So, yeah, it's just... I don't want to be too <laughs> negative, but it's just it's just a shock that we're sat here talking in a negative light about a uh, Champions exit when it's such a golden
1: opportunity in the quarterfinals. When you agreed to come on this podcast, you thought it was going to be fun and positive, and we were going to talk about Cruz Azul, uh, and uh, nope, nope, uh, you're you <laughs> coming on in a pretty dark day. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with everything you said there. Um, and, and I will say, too, uh, the Farrell news, I, I know I don't want to hammer this too much, I mean, I think a lot of people would have been very concerned. I, I, I think that's the, the key. If you told me going into this game, Andrew Farrell is not traveling with the team uh, and he's out for a week or two or whatever, um, and he's not going to play in the second leg. Then I might have been a lot more concerned uh, about the revs not being able to hold a three goal lead. Uh, not that I'm think John Bellino, Mark Gonzalez are you know horrific players that you know can't play soccer, but um, I, I I think Andrew Farrell's importance is. It, it it showed last night. I think a lot of people underrate him. And, yeah, anyway, moving on. Uh, Eric asks us, early in the first half, Bo put a ball across the face of goal. It was the third or fourth time in the past few matches he's done that, and there's been no one in the area. Trying to decide if that is a worrisome trend or just a few misconnects. Um, that's a good question. I, I do remember, and not just Bo, I think Dewan Jones had another play where he kind of threw it in front of a goal and no one was there. Uh, I think that's a little concerning, uh, but I think I'm willing to give last night a pass because I think they just weren't committing guys forward. Um, it seemed like there were times, I don't know if people were winded or not, but there were some times where it just seemed like, uh, you know, Bo or Buxa or Josie was a little bit behind the play than they normally are. Uh, Jamie, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, um,
0: yeah, I, I can't claim to an expert, be an expert, but I'm sure altitude does actually play some part. And I agree, yeah, about 60 minutes, I saw a few players, especially Gustavo with like his hands on his knees, like, wheezing. So that was quite rare. But I think it could, it could, I my interpretation anyways, it speaks to Bruce's Bruce's approach that there maybe wasn't that attacking impetus. So when someone like Bo got forward, there wasn't anyone there to support him because that was the way it was set out to be. But you'd still, you'd like to think, at least once if books is there or vice versa, then there's that all important goal. So, yeah, hopefully it's nothing worrying going forward, but you never know.
1: Yeah. And Bo seemed a couple of times too, Um this is a different topic, but there were a couple of plays where I, I thought Bo, his decision making was not the best. Uh, there was one play early in the first half where Dewan Jones intercepted the pass. And he kind of moved it to Bo, who was on the left, and Bo kind of dribbled it around. Dewan Jones called for it in the corner, and Bo instead kind of dribbled to the middle and took a long shot that was saved. And then there was another counter where I think Carlos Hill was wide open on the right wing. I mean, was, the ball was at midfield. Carlos Hill kind of ran up, and Buxa kind of loses the ball, but Bo ends up getting it, and he kind of runs a little bit, and he kind of cuts to the center, and Carlos Hill is wide open with acres of space, and, and Bo just kind of scuffs the shot and kind of goes right to the defender. So there were a couple of plays last night, too, where Bo just seemed a little bit off. So um, maybe it's not necessarily people aren't there. Maybe Bo's just on a little bit of a different page right now. He is kind of a luxury roaming player a little bit, but I don't know. I, I don't know. I, it might be a worrisome trend, I'll, I'll, but the jury's still out. I still think, uh, you know, it's only two losses. It's only two losses. Let's see how we do against Charlotte. If we lose against Charlotte, uh, I think it's a much more uh, worrisome trend. So uh, Eric also says, I'm not as down on Omar as some, uh, but I do feel like he took a goal off Bux's head when Leggett got that chip uh, off late in the second uh, he's talking about the play where the revs almost scored it was saved uh, nicely by their keeper uh omar was right in front of adam buksa uh but i think he's got to go for goal there and he still did put a, a good chance on net uh that was arguably the revs best chance of the night um and, and I, I don't think he can really rely on adam buksa you know in the heat of the moment uh i, I think if uh, adam buksa was just not in as good a position you know maybe it's not as clean I, I think it was a pretty good look overall and so i think if you're omar gonzalez you got to take that uh jamie uh, any thoughts on that play
0: uh, not a whole lot to add, but just, yeah, I think Tallahassee did make a good stop there. And I think the the bringing in of Omar from Bruce's perspective, I imagine it wasn't it planned that he would play this much straight away, especially when it's what the, the back three almost is him and him and Bell as centre-backs with Edwards in goal. That's two inexperienced players and a new signing as well. So they, no, this wasn't expected at all. So I think Gonzalez, especially in the changing room, I imagine Gonzalez will be a good player to have going forward. But yeah, just maybe, maybe they weren't expecting when bringing him in that he would be thrust into the lim- limelight this quickly.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, this game plays out a lot differently if Henry Kessler's there. And we did get a question from Mart who says, uh, why slash how is Omar still in this league uh, and on this team? Uh, I'm not as harsh on that. I think uh, Omar Gonzalez is a fine third center back. Um, but as I say, I think he's been thrust into the starting lineup. And, um, you know, as I say, I I think he just doesn't move that well. And when you don't have someone who can kind of recover for you, like an Andrew Farrell, uh, that's an, that's. Not gonna end well. Uh so I, I think uh you know, as I say, I think Omar Gonzalez's weaknesses uh really we really showed up and that was just kind of the situation. So um I, I think, you know, he's still a veteran center back. I still think he's got a lot of leadership uh qualities in him that you could kinda use as a reserve player. Uh but yeah, the revs are really relying on him right now. And sometimes he puts in some decent performances, but uh last night I think it was just a situation doomed to fail, uh where uh you know, Pumas was gonna apply pressure all night and it was just a, a matter of time before it broke. So It is what it is. Uh, Carter says, uh, sell Adam Buxa and get someone who can run faster than a two-year-old. Edwards is a journeyman third stringer for a reason. That guy had one good game, and (laughs) we, we, uh, yeah, I'm not going to repeat any expletives. Uh, This is a family show. Uh, And why did our bench look like a D2 college team, and why did our starters play like it? Uh, a lot of negatives there. Uh, we also got. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to the next question uh, because this is kind of uh, in the same uh, vein. But uh, Teal Forever says if can't if your DP can't hit the net on a good cross when he's wide open and isn't your in your top five for penalty kicks, you might as well sell him, right? Uh, so uh, I think a lot of ne- you know we, we talked about Anna books' struggles obviously a lot of people are gonna be negative on him I will add the context that books was one of the better players against RSL uh, last week I would say uh, and I I think he's been playing pretty decently so I, I think uh, obviously some negativity is gonna come out uh, but uh, you know I, I I think on the whole um, this is just Gonna go down as one of his worst performances uh, for the Rebs, and I think long term the Rebs are still going to sell him for a pretty penny come the summer. Um, Jamie, any any final thoughts here on uh, Adam Buxa before we uh, move on from these super negative comments?
0: Yeah, they are. They're getting quite damning, aren't they? But no, yeah, I think <laughs> as you say, like against RSL, he was one of the better players, and see, for example, last season you had Tati Cassiano leading leading the league the in goals and. He's still a fairly wasteful forward, and maybe Buxer can be every now and then. But I think for for this team anyway, he is more often than not he does get the job done. So I, I think I don't think this one this one poor evening down in Mexico is enough to write off his whole career with the club.
1: Yeah, and sometimes he he botches it, and you know it's it, there is a problem, uh, and I, I, you know it it showed. But you know. He, Again, his strengths are kind of being physical and brutal in the box and winning crosses, and the Rebs didn't really, you know, get hit, get the ball into the attacking third that much, and, and they weren't able to, uh, you know, swing it into some crowded areas that Books can kind of win headers on. So um, I think, you know, similar to Omar Gonzalez, you know, you know, this game kind of played to Adam Books's weaknesses, which is playing it in space, you know, getting out into open space, uh, you know, Finding some good runs, um, and, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, I wish he had one to finish one of finish one of those chances because we'd be talking about how he scored three goals over these two legs. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not meant to be. We did get another question from Teal Forever. How much do they miss Andrew Farrell? Uh, And center back has to be improved this summer, right? Um, Well, they certainly missed Andrew Farrell. I think that was pretty obvious uh, to everyone. Um, In terms of center back improving over this summer, I'm curious to see what they do, because they do have Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell. I think when everyone's healthy this Unit might be fine, uh, but I, I don't know. I could certainly see the argument of going out uh, and, and adding another addition. You could always use another defender. Uh, Jamie, what are your thoughts about potentially adding a centre-back in the summer window? I think, yeah, as you said, when it's full when it's full strength,
0: you have a back four of By Kessler, Farron Jones. Without being biased, that far and away is one of the best the league has to offer. And then with with the experience of Omar on the bench, plus Bell, who I think is about 24 or so, and he's got a lot of good characters there to learn from. I don't think it's... I think, yeah, as you say, uh, bring in another defender that's MLS quality. Please do. No one's going to complain. But when Farrell and Kessler are both fit and fit, fit and ready to go, they are one of the best centre-back partnerships in the league.
1: Yeah, it, it's a little concerning that they both have had... I believe Farrell has a lower body injury. I think it was defined as soreness. So the, the details are still out. Um, and Henry Kessler has a hamstring injury that he was, you know, he nursed in preseason, thought he was good, and then reaggravated it. So I'm curious to see the timelines and if that is a nagging problem going forward. And Andrew Farrell is a guy that plays a ton. He really rarely misses games. Even before this, I, I went back to see if he's ever even really been hurt. He had an eye injury coming into, I think it was 2019. But for the most part, he's played 25 to 30 games since he was drafted in 2013. Um, but he is getting to 30 years old. Uh, And I look at the rest of the center backs. You have John Bell, you have Henry Kessler, you have Omar Gonzalez. Um, You know, I I think Henry Kessler, you know, is a little quick. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I think if you end up in a scenario where you're playing three or four games with Omar Gonzalez and John Bell, uh, I'm not so sure about it. I almost wish they had played um, A.J. De La Garza, uh, where Andrew Farrell played last night, although he's not the tallest center back in the world. So, um, I don't know. I'm curious to see what they end up doing, if they end up going get – another depth center back there also are a few decent center backs uh, down at revs two. so maybe if some injuries last longer than expected maybe there's someone at revs two that they can kind of bring up so you know and, and maybe play over john bell um that's something that maybe you can kind of fix in-house uh but uh yeah I, I, if, if henry kessler is out long term i think center back is up there in terms of the uh want list uh, Matthew Skillen says, did Bruce botch the rotation this past week? Not having Farrell there tonight was crucial. Um, and, and yeah, we talked about Farrell a little bit too. I, I don't want to say he botched the rotation that much because he rested pretty much everyone. Um, but yeah, obviously one guy, he, he really didn't rest. And he played a full 90 minutes against RSL. The one starter he played against RSL, um, is now out with an injury. Um, any thoughts uh, on the rotation and how Bruce handled it? I, I personally don't have an issue with it, Jamie, but uh, I want your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I do think that it does need to be discussed. Whether whether you look at the, the substitutions in game, maybe you think I saw a lot of people saying on Twitter, and I was in full agreement that someone like Emma Boateng to stretch stretch their defenders was needed because Books was getting asked to run in behind a couple of times, and just just not necessarily his his strongest point. And um, yeah, I do I do wonder whether whether the rotation was. Was was managed in the right way, and whether, whether Bruce is just not, just had it maybe just it's an off week. And, and funny, we beat Pumas 3 0 last week, so it's not all doom and gloom, but I do wonder whether there is, there is something going on there.
1: We got another question here from Matt. He says, Why no midfield sub to inject some speed and fresh legs in the game? And we did get another question from someone who, oh, uh, what now really on Twitter? He says, Why wasn't Botang brought in? Uh, which is what I was surprised about. Mm-hmm. I thought that Botang would have been great for this game. I don't know if he's nursing an injury or something, or if they just wanted to rest him, I don't know. Uh, but I thought they were kind of lacking some speed. They had some tired legs. And originally it looked like Sebastian Lejet was coming out for um, Josie Altador. I guess Bo picked up a knock, and so they wanted to take off Gustavo Bo. Um, so they were going to go with Bo, Buxa, and Josie Altador which I thought would not have been the fastest trio. I think I ranted about that a few podcasts ago, and I, I'm not in love with that uh, trio up top when you're trying to protect the lead. Uh, so I, I thought they definitely could have used some fresh legs. I definitely th- could have thought they could have used another body in the midfield, uh, especially when they were trying to protect the league. No Masiel, uh no Emma Boateng, Um and Bruce ends up, I believe, burning... I think he made two subs last night, if I yeah. remember that correctly. No, so... Yeah, no, he brought in Tommy McNamara, he brought in Altidore, so... Uh, Botang wasn't used, Maciel wasn't used, uh, and then uh, AJ Delagarza Garza and Ryan Spaulding weren't used, which you kind of expected, but um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts about him not bringing in those midfield subs? Um, I personally think that was a giant mistake. I definitely think not using Maciel was a mistake. Uh, maybe I would like to have seen Maciel instead of Tommy McNamara, but uh, what are your thoughts on Bruce's subs last night? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one,
0: because some, especially in this league, someone like Sebastian Legit, I'm a huge fan of, for for the standard anyway. And yeah, Mario wasn't hugely impressive. For Matt Polster was yeah, he was he I will not I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to tear him to shreds, but I think maybe as that the the deeper midfielder he there's a job there for him to go in and help the two centre backs. But obviously that's uh that's something we don't know about. But I think I think yeah, there is there was some question marks with with Bruce only using the two subs that did seem quite strange. He almost was sticking to what he'd gone with originally. And um, recently, I, uh, just before I came on, I was listening to the, the Call Up podcast, and Claudia Reyna was on there, who's worked with Bruce before, and one quote stood out to me straight away. He just said, he's so simple in his approach, and whilst he used it in a positive context, I do wonder whether his whether Bruce's simplicity and desire to stick to the original eleven in some games can be his undoing in this league.
1: I, I agree completely. And I'm going to make a... Uh, college basketball comparison uh, because uh, today is the start of March Madness, so uh, I, I don't know if you'll get this reference, Jamie, but um, I, I, you know, my my school, uh, we had a coach who really played his top five players, and they play, you know, it's a forty-minute game. He played them 35, 30 to thirty-five minutes, pretty much the whole game, and bring in one or two other players, and they play like five or ten minutes. Um, and, and there was a talent gap between the starters and the bench, but what ended up happening year after year is we lose games towards the end just because legs were tired and and everyone, you know, has their habits and all that. So teams knew how this guy played and how this guy approached it and all that. Um, And so I think rotation is important. This kind of goes with the RSL question, I guess, a little bit too. But, um, you know, I think developing depth and and developing rotation and using players off the bench in spots they can succeed, um, I, I think that's important to managing a roster and managing games. Whereas I think Bruce Arena's approach is here's the best 11 guys, you know, hopefully our best 11 beats their best 11. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I, I don't know if that's the best approach and I'm still not sure too. We're going to talk about Josie Altidore in a minute. I still don't know the best way to use Josie Altidore because in my mind, Josie Altidore is a replacement for Adam Buxa. I I think having them both on the field at the same time, maybe I'm alone in this. I I don't like that pairing uh, together. And he at least played Altidore up top today. He didn't play him where Legit usually plays in the midfield. So I was happy to see that. Um, But I, I don't know. I. It seems like they're just putting in Josie Altador to take over for Gustavo Bo because he's Josie uh, Where, But, you know, that game, as I say, that game could have used Emma Boateng last night. Um, but I guess he didn't want to take off Leggett because I think that's a downgrade from Leggette, Um And you'd have to move McNamara to the right. He already put on Tommy McNamara. Um, I don't know. I, I'm... I'm I'm just confused to, to why door and Bucso, you know, had to be on the field instead of you know, maybe going with a 4-2-3-1 and having bodies kind of occupy the wings a little bit because um, it just seemed like they're you know, putting the pieces, and sometimes it's a square peg in a round hole. So, um, yeah, I, I, anyway, I don't mean to rant too much, but uh, your, your comment there uh, from the call-up kind of uh, went down this path of, you know, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know if Bruce is using his players in the best scenarios, and uh, I don't know. It's driving me nuts. Uh, Gordon asks us, uh, why do y'all think we went into penalties without making all of our changes? Uh, nobody was ready. To, uh, nobody was ready to change the game, or was I missing something? We already kind of talked about the subs. Uh, we already talked about Botang, so I'll skip over that one. Sorry, Gordon. I uh, didn't realize that was all related. Uh, Oscar asks us, is Josie Altador a bust? I know it's early in the season, but so far, from what I've seen from him, is not much there. Seems like Arena is not good at making off-season signings. Um, and I, I will also add that I criticized books a couple upsets ago and our listeners were not happy with me uh, so I'm going to be very careful with my words uh, But I'll, and I'll take this one first. I don't think he's a bust. I still think we're at a small sample size and I kind of just talked about it. I don't know if Josie Althor was being played uh, at his best positions uh, but he did score against RSL um, he did have a nice pass uh, in the first leg in the Pumas game that helped set up that third goal uh, we're seeing bits and uh, flashes but there's also times it just seems like he's isolated I think he had 12 touches in 20 minutes last night. Um, it, 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 there are times he doesn't seem to add much and it seems like he's playing a lot when the revs are up a goal or they're trying to kind of not concede uh, and that's not really where josie that's not really when you want josie Altador on the field you want him to get you a goal uh not defend against one so um any thoughts on that jamie before uh we move on any thoughts on josie Altador and how he's playing so far
0: i think uh so it is related you've mentioned about yeah bruce's like offseason signings and before the season started i was constantly writing out omar seba legit and josie are like free. They're winners, they're experienced players in this league. That's great for the dressing room. But then, I maybe mean, didn't take into account the on-the-field stuff. And whilst Legette's got two goals, Josie scored, and it is still very early, Yeah, I am starting to wonder where this all fits. As in, it's hard to replace a player as good and as electric as Tejon Buchanan, but his outlet is being missed dramatically, I think. And there hasn't seen, there doesn't really seem to be an answer to it at the moment.
1: No, I agree with you 100%. And and it's worth noting that if this off-season crop doesn't work out, this is two consecutive off seasons where the revs have a really really good window, and the signings all miss. Um, I still think the the. The, the jury is out on Tristison. I think Tristison played pretty well last night. And he's put in some good performances. Maybe we're going to see kind of a second-year bounce back. Uh, but Christian Moffla is already gone. He did not work out. Wilfred Capdum didn't even make the 18 yesterday, uh, which I thought was pretty surprising. Although I, I, it's not surprised they didn't get in the game. Uh, but he, he seems to have fallen out of favor, which is not good when you're paying someone half a million dollars. Uh, so, you know, if, if Josie and Omar Gonzalez and Leggett all turn out to be not great and don't help take this team to the next level, um, that's, this is going to, we're going to look back on this window and say that these off season moves, uh, really wasted it. But as I say, I think I'm willing to give a lot more time on Josie Altidore. I think he's still building up his fitness. Uh, I also am curious to see how the Revs, if they sell Buxa. You know, how do they manage it? Does Josie take over for Buxa? Are they able to use a designated player spot in the midfield? I mean, maybe in theory that could work out. So I'm, I'm willing to see it play out. Um, and I think Legit has been fine. Uh, I think he's been a good uh, addition so far. He's just not Tejan Buchanan. I think that's where people uh, kind of hold it against him. So... Uh Bobby Reverton says maybe this is too big of a question. How do you build balance in MLS? We are very top heavy, but it feels like there's no spine to the team, no way to carry the ball from goalie to striker without heel, walking it up himself. Uh the ball dies in the middle third. I agree with all of that. Uh really if this is an MLS question, I think the, the issue is just you gotta get rid of the salary cap rules. Um, you know, in Liga MX, they they are able to spend whatever they want on players, uh, and they just they're able to spend on quality at all positions. Whereas when you're in a salary cap league, you're going to end up with Omar Gonzalez and John Bell uh, as your center back pairing. Uh, you're not going to be able to go out and buy, uh, you know, just, you know, plug holes and, and uh, spend as much money as you want. You're going to have to, you know, develop young talent uh, and find some cheap pieces, which the Revs have been able to do. Uh, but it also leads to, as I say, John Bell and Omar Gonzalez uh, and Tommy McNamara, uh, you know, trying to conserve a lead uh, in, in uh, Mexico City. So, uh, Jamie, anything to add on that uh, about uh, what MLS can do to build a better balance?
0: Yeah, I think I think as you said, the the salary cap issues is always gonna it's always gonna limit teams trying to get to that next level and become a continental success as opposed to just a league success. And yeah, I think I think we have seen that Baye and Jones can both progress the ball very well. So I think if if those two and Legit and Heal can build a, a good relationship over the next month or two, then I think there definitely will be some success going forward. But as you mentioned, I think oh, I just miss Tejan Buchanan. I can't lie; he's such a good player, and he's he, so such a multi game. That yeah, it's just not having Tejan in this team has been it's been upsetting. I can't lie.
1: It, you know, I, I do think Legette has been a great addition to this team, but there are times where Tejan would go out and change the game with a, an amazing play, uh, and they seem to be missing that kind of X-factor. Dewan Jones, I guess, has been uh, kind of the X-factor on the left wing a little bit, but when he's forced to stay back, they seem to be lacking that explosiveness, uh, as, as, uh, as Bobby said. Uh, Sam Minton says, should the back line be a priority in the summer transfer window? We already answered that one. I, I would say yes, especially if the injuries to Kessler and Farrell are uh, longer term than we expect. David billion says, "Announce ha- Horfath, uh, is my question and comment, uh, which I don't think is happening. It seems like he's taken over the starting role at Not- Nottingham Forest, uh, and it would be a pretty pricey signing anyway. So I think that one you can kind of scrap. Uh, it is kind of interesting to see what the Revs do with the goalkeeper position because I don't think Earl Edwards Jr. is the answer, um, and it, the fact that Edwards is playing, still playing, over Knighton, maybe Knighton gets the start against Charlotte, but." um, you know, I don't know if they're going to go with Knighton either uh, with, with Edwards getting all this time. So I think they are going to have to go out and make an, an acquisition, but I don't think it's going to be Horfath. Uh, what now really says is Turner expected to play for the Revs again before leaving. Uh, just to, there was a, a rumor, Jamie, I got to go through this real quick for the people that weren't on Twitter. Uh, but there was a story this week that said Matt Turner uh, got frostbite in the Minnesota United States men's national team game. And that is not true at all. Uh, so I, I think there are some people that are worried the Matt Turner injury is a lot worse than expected, uh, but it is just a, uh, a break or a fracture in his foot, according to Tom Quinlan of New England soccer weekly. Uh, and his timeline is expected to be right after the international break. I don't know if that's the first game after the international break, but it is a short term injury. I think a lot of people were worried Matt Turner is never to be seen again. Uh, but that is not correct. So, um, just wanted to throw that out there. Uh Jamie, here I got a question for you here. Randy says we've lost two in a row now. Brad Friedel said good teams don't do that. Was he right? Uh so so quick question. Do do good teams sometimes lose two games in a row or are the revs not that good of a team? I think I think as you said it's
0: such a such a small sample size and whilst a, a lot of the squad is still in place from last year's success, I think I think you can't make a comment like that because it's it's not it's not two games, just normal games. As much as I hate the excuses, one's a snow game against RSL, one's a second leg of a CCL quarterfinal, which is newfound territory for the Revs. So I think, I think, I think I don't want to overreact and say there's an issue there. If we end up conceding three more goals against Charlotte on the weekend, then maybe raise a few eyebrows. But I think a good result against Charlotte and get into the international break and get Kessler and Foul back. And I think I think we'll go back to being pretty happy fans again.
1: Yeah, I think once we get back to full strength, uh, we're not going to be conceding three goals in a row uh, like mm-hmm. we have in uh, back-to-back games here. So, uh, Oscar asks, us, should we be waiting for the Rebs in the parking lot now that they have lost two in a row, which is another reference to Brad Friedel. Uh, I think the Brad Friedel references are coming out because Brad Friedel recently did an interview where he, uh, I don't, I don't want to get too much into it because I'm kind of tired of talking about Brad Friedel, uh, but he uh, kind of came out and made a lot of comments about the former players and... Uh, how he was basically set up to fail with the revolution and uh, kind of more Brad Friedling. So uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. I didn't listen to the episode. I'm not giving Brad Friedle the time of day anymore, Uh, but I think that is why we are getting the Brad Friedle references here. Uh, And also, uh, you know, this might be the most miserable the fan base has been since the Brad Friedle days, to be quite honest with you. So uh, Paulo says, just hope this hardens our resolve and we're on to Charlotte. So he's moving on to the next game, hoping to get three points before we head into the international break. And boy, would it be a disaster if we do not win Maybe I, I if they, we lose, it'll be a, a you know a cat a, a complete mess. But um, uh, if we if we draw against Charlotte, I, I can't imagine people are going to be very helpful either. So Charlotte, I feel, is a very important three points. Uh, but yeah, so that does it for Twitter questions, Twitter comments. A lot of misery, not fun, not great. Uh, but we got through it, Jamie, and uh, I'm I'm really excited. Anything you want to say before we depart here today?
0: No, I think I think we covered a lot of it in... Yeah, as you said, it's a. I I understand the fury and the negativity from the fans and us us as well. We're not we're not best pleased of what what went down last night. But I think no more in general, it's that it should be brighter times to come with hopefully a winning against Charlotte and into the into the international break.
1: Yeah, it's it's a big game coming up, and uh, yeah, just not. Ah, we'll have to get you on for a happier occasion, Jamie, as I say. I feel like we've yeah. thrown you into the deep end here. Uh, but, uh, Jamie, as you mentioned, uh, you, you covered the Revs last year, covering the Revs this year. Uh, for our listeners who are unfamiliar with you, uh, please let us know uh, where they can follow you on social media and where they can find your work.
0: Uh, so first of all, I just want to say thank you again, Greg, for having me on, big fan. And um, so I write for Last Word on Soccer, which the Twitter at is at LastWordSC, or if you want, but they cover the whole league. Or if you want just my coverage of the Revs, you can find me at RookieJNR13 on
1: Twitter. Uh, For our listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap, and please follow our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. If you'd like to support the podcast further, uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Revolution Recap, which is also in the show notes. Uh, And please be sure to subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening Uh, if you don't want to contribute to our Patreon. uh, You can always rate and review us five stars or tell a friend about uh, our podcast here. Help people who are looking for Revolution content find it. Uh, Please also be sure to follow the Bent Musket on Twitter at the Bent Musket, our friends over there, uh, and follow their work online at www.thebentmusket.com for year round coverage. Uh, and also, of course, check out our sponsor, Glasso Kits, and use our promo code RevsRecap for 15% off your order on any of their merchandise that they have in their catalog. So we will be back this weekend against Charlotte. I'm not going to be here. Chris is going to be covering. If we lose, if, and if, if they lose, you're going to be very happy I'm not on the podcast because I would be losing my mind but chris will be covering this game in charlotte which god willing will be a a win and three points and all will be right in the world so until then until this weekend thank you everyone for listening and go revs